and welcome to the Tales of Osteopathy Students with me, Chelsea, and my good friend, Bee. How are you doing, Bee? <laughs> Hello. I'm great on this fucking stunning day. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. I've already been for a walk. Saw a hot air balloon being filled up. It was very exciting. So jazzy. Bath is so beautiful. It's oh. so pretty. It's so pretty. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm uh, <laughs> slightly, like, I've got the start of the side effects of coffee brewing. So I'm just like, yeah, ready for that fresh cup of got coffee that, that I haven't had in two weeks, three weeks. Yeah. Side effects. So potentially going to be in a weird mood today. Woo woo. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait. Loving it. Loving it. So today we've got some uh, A&P stuff going on for you. In fact, neither of it. It's not A&P. It's neither. It's a different kind of P. We're talking about pathology. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. I love pathology. Yeah, me too. Big fan. Big fan. So over the last kind of few weeks with our little anatomy and physiology episodes, we've been talking about the, the lungs, the respiratory system, all that mm. sort of stuff. So today I'm going to talk to you about a couple of pathologies that are related to the respiratory system. Yes. So I'm going to start off with the big one, the big old tuberculosis, TB. <laughs> the big old TB. If you're if you like reading books, if you're a big reading fan, and you know you want something a bit more kind of illustrative of history rather than the factual information about mm. disease and all the stuff we generally read, I'd really recommend checking out the book Illness as a Metaphor by Susan Sontag, I think that's how it's um, pronounced. So Sontag being S-O-N-T-A-G. And it talks about kind of, it talks a lot about TB and also a lot about cancer as well and how like TB was the big thing, the overarching thing that killed a lot of people. Mm. And now the sort of, the real thing that we all are very scared of in the Western world is very much cancer now. So it's like, it talks about the sort of parallels between the two. It's really interesting. It's a short read, really interesting read. I'd highly recommend it. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, definitely give it a go. Definitely give it a go. So I'm going to start off with a few little key facts, and these will come from WHO, the World Health Organization. A total of 1.4 million people died of TB in 2019, including 208,000 people with HIV. So when we go into this in a bit more, Mm. you'll see that it generally affects people that are immunocompromised um, Mm. a lot more than it does those that are immunocompetent, which I'm not really comfortable with that word but apparently that's the way that we use it so those with hiv are are much more affected by the disease tb is still one of the top 10 causes of death it's the leading cause from a single infectious agent above hiv and aids wow okay yeah yeah so it's a big deal it's something that we don't really Mm. talk about that much now but it's still a really really big deal yeah In 2019, an estimated 10 million people fell ill with tuberculosis worldwide. 5.6 million men, 3.2 million women and 1.2 million children. TB is present in all countries and age groups, but TB is curable and it's also preventable. In 2019, 1.2 million children fell ill with TB globally and children and adolescents uh, with TB is often really overlooked by healthcare providers and can be really difficult to diagnose as well. In 2019, again, the 30 high TB burden countries accounted for 87% of new TB cases. 
Um, and the highest one is India, which leads the count, followed by Indonesia, China, Philippines, Pakistan, Nigeria, Bangladesh and South Africa. Okay. Globally, the incidence is falling by 2% per year. And between 2015 and 2019, the cumulative reduction was about 9%, but they did have a target of, there was a TB strategy to reduce it by 20% between 2015 and 2020. But obviously they've fallen short by nearly mm. half of what that target was. An estimated 60 million lives were saved through a TB diagnosis and them having treatment between 2000 and 2019. So it is now mm. very, very treatable. Their overall aim of the United Nations is to end the TB epidemic by 2030. So that's to, to completely wow. eradicate TB by 2030. Isn't it scary that 2030 doesn't feel that far away? Like we're only yeah, nine years scary, away yeah. from 2030. Yeah, don't like it. Don't like it one bit. Yeah. <laughs> First up, TB is caused by a pathogen called... Again, apologies for pronunciation, very dyslexic human here. Mycobacterium tuberculosis. In regards to epidemiology, tuberculosis is the most common infectious disease worldwide. And it's estimated that it causes between 1.4 and 2 million deaths per year. Ugh. So it's, it's big, it's yeah. big. And it's an airborne disease and is transmitted through the air from an active TB patient. We'll go into this in a bit more detail in a moment, but you can get patients that have active TB and mm. those that are generally have got a good, strong immune system can contract TB, but they, they contain it. So yeah. it doesn't get active and they can't actually pass it on. Okay. You can catch it from a patient that has active TB. So in terms of the sort of immunopathogenesis, so how this sort of disease progresses once you catch it within the body, the little bacteria are generally inhaled and they get engulfed by those little macrophages. So remember, we've talked about macrophages before, the little gobbly ones in your immune yeah. system that come along and go, ow, 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 and they eat it. <laughs> but they survive and they multiply within the macrophages. Oh, I see. I know, right? Isn't that crazy? These then spread to the blood-rich areas of the body. So tuberculosis is generally within the lungs, but not just. It can be outside as well. So it mm. goes to those blood-rich places. So where gets a huge blood supply within your body? Your kidneys, <laughs> for one. Mm. They get a lot of blood, like 25%. Other places, so it's like the kidneys, the liver, and the meninges as well. Meninges being those layers that support and protect your spinal cord. Those that are immunocompetent, those that have got a good immune system and contract TB will generally contain that infection. The active disease is generally seen in those that are elderly, malnourished, diabetic, immunosuppressed or alcoholic. The active disease is generally pulmonary and will be within 75% of cases will be within the lungs and the other 25% of cases are extra pulmonary as in outside of the lungs. Okay. How the disease presents is generally within pulmonary tuberculosis, it presents as like chronic pneumonia. So there's a persistent cough, fever, night sweats, weight loss, loss of appetite. Um, in terms of extra pulmonary TB, it may present as things like meningitis, genitourinary symptoms or bone or joint pain. And this is where the whole world now is like, oh my God, I've got TB. <laughs> because it's like, <laughs> my joints hurt. Oh, I've definitely got inflammation in my meninges. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's meningitis, by the way inflammation of the meninges. 
So the good news is, is that most people that receive treatment will now make a full recovery. So the majority of people that if it's diagnosed, you get treatment, you make a full recovery. If mm. left untreated, about half of the people will die of the infection. Prognosis is worse with patients that have HIV. HIV yeah. is very, very immunocompromised. You've got a very weak immune system, so it makes it really difficult to fight off those infections. One thing that I think that's really, really interesting about is just kind of the history around TB mm. as well, because it's something we don't hear about that much now, but it was really, really prevalent in the UK kind of around the Industrial Revolution. So starting in sort of the 18th century England and coupled with poverty, urbanisation and squalor, um, and it created an optimal environment for the propagation of tuberculosis. So it's literally basically tuberculosis loves those close quarters that are really mm. unhygienic and stuff which is why it's like we don't hear about it that much in the western world now and it's like in all of these other countries where people live in, in poorer environments and they're in much closer quarters essentially is where mm. that disease really really spreads but one in four deaths were due to tuberculosis by the early 19th century in england one in four deaths oh god <laughs> right it's Ew. kind of crazy isn't it and in the early 1990s, there was a resurgence of TB. So it had been dropping, dropping, dropping. We got to the early 1990s and it was recorded in many parts of the industrialized world and was attributed to a variety of factors that included the dismantling of TB control programs because obviously it had been dropping. So they're like, we don't need to invest mm. that much money into it now. Let's get rid uh. of those programs. An increase in migration, the spread of HIV, you think 80s, 90s, HIV yeah. came around, an increase in drug-resistant TB as well, and mm. in increases in some non-communicable diseases that are risk factors for TB, and also the, uh, the obesity epidemic and the fact that type 2 diabetes is rising and people mm. who are diabetic are more likely to have those negative things from it. Interesting. That's my little summary of TB, which is just going to leave you all on a cliffhanger being like, tell me more. <laughs> How do we, what do we do about this stuff? <laughs> Obviously, as for us as like um, osteopaths or osteopathic students, we're not treating this stuff. This is a referral. <laughs> yeah. This is a straight <laughs> referral. As an osteopath, if you ever suspect that anyone has tuberculosis, that is an instant referral. Also, it would be a case mm. of yourself getting checked because if they have the active disease, it's airborne. You want to get yourself tested too um, to ensure that you didn't, you have also not contracted the disease, but generally... We, I'm not going through treatments and things like that of it today because as osteopathic students, we won't be treating it. Cool. So that's nice. tuberculosis. Well, not nice, but thank you for the information. <laughs> you are very welcome. Next, I've got another real fun one. Oh, yeah. Tell me more. We're going to talk about pneumonia. Mm -mm. Woo! Mm. <laughs> I feel like most people know somebody who's had pneumonia or has heard about it. Yeah. For sure. I think everyone talks about pneumonia. I think it's also a thing of like people think it's like a bad cold or a bad mm. flu. You know, yeah. it's like it just gets keeps getting worse and worse and worse. But it's an interesting one. It's one of those things like, you know, how diseases and things like that are named. And it's generally from mm. like the the thing that infects it or the thing that causes the disease. Pneumonia can be caused by a virus, a bacteria or a fungal infection. We got, really? we got a whole range oh my <laughs> of gosh. things that can cause pneumonia. Yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy. It's a bit crazy. So I've got a really unnice key fact to begin with for you. Pneumonia accounts for 15% of all deaths of children under the age of five years old. 
Oh, gosh. It's not very nice, so I do apologise. Mm. Pneumonia can be prevented by immunisation, adequate nutrition, and by addressing environmental factors. Pneumonia that's been caused by bacteria can be treated with antibiotics, antibiotics, as in against the bacteria, mm -hmm. but only one-third of children with pneumonia receive the antibiotics that they need. Again, it's another one of those things that's difficult to diagnose in kids. So mm. that's one thing I think as a medical community we need to get better at is identifying specific illnesses because unless you ever find the true cause of why someone is sick they're never really going to get better yeah that's a whole nother conversation for another day for sure so what is pneumonia pneumonia is a form of acute respiratory infection that affects the lungs we all know if you go back to those episodes where we've talked about the anatomy and physiology etc um, of the lungs we've got these small little sacs called alveoli think about those little leaves that we talked about at the end of those trees and in a healthy person this is where you get that oxygen transportation happens where it goes um, in towards the blood in someone that has pneumonia, essentially these little sacs get filled with pus, which makes breathing painful and it limits our oxygen intake. So that transition mm. can't really happen. So, so this is why we get the issues, essentially. And does that mean that the pus would prevent the carbon dioxide being properly expelled too? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Sad, not good times. So pneumonia affects children and families everywhere, but is most prevalent in South Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa. Children can be protected from pneumonia. It can be prevented by simple interventions and treated with low-cost, low-tech medication and care. So hey, rich countries mm. of the world, you want to start giving your money and your technology to these, these countries that maybe can't afford yeah. it? And uh, let's help save the children. Pneumonia is caused, as we said, by different things. It's by a virus, by bacteria, and by fungi. But there are fucking loads. There are loads and loads and loads of different ways you can get Fuck. pneumonia. So a couple of the most common are Streptococcus pneumoniae is the mm. most common cause of bacterial pneumonia in children. Haemophilus influenzae type B is the second most common cause of bacterial pneumonia. There's <laughs> too many long words. Do any long words for me today. Respiratory syncotile virus <laughs> is the most common viral cause of pneumonia. And in infants that are affected with HIV, pneumocytis gyrovecae is one of the most common causes of pneumonia, responsible for at least one quarter of all pneumonia deaths in HIV-infected infants. So again, HIV, reduced immune system, yeah. you can't fight it, it makes it harder. So how is this disease transmitted? There's obviously, because there's loads of different ways you can get it. There's loads of different things. There's so many different ways it can be transmitted to different people. So it's commonly found in the nose or throat and it can, can infect the lungs when it's inhaled. Um, it can be spread airborne droplets from coughing and sneezing. Um, and it can also spread through blood as well, okay. especially um, during or shortly after birth. Ah, I see. Could Which be. is why yeah. children are more susceptible to it. Indeed, indeed. Um, basically, there needs to be a lot more research done on all these pathogens mm -hmm. and all these different ways. And it's like, you know, really, these are lots of different diseases when you think about it, because it's all different things that are causing mm. these things. How does it present? The presenting features of viral and bacterial pneumonia are really similar. But really, viral pneumonia is more, the symptoms are more numerous than bacterial pneumonia. 
In children under five years of age who have a cough and or difficulty breathing with or without fever, pneumonia is diagnosed by the presence of either fast breathing or lower chest wall in drawing, okay. where the chest moves in or retracts during inhalation. That's where it can be diagnosed in kids, essentially. So the chest wall's coming in during inhalation mm. rather than what do we want the chest wall to do in inhalation? We want it to expand, right? A wheezing is more common in the viral infection. Okay. So viral infection, much more difficult to treat. When you get very, very, very poorly with this sort of thing, sometimes you don't want to eat, you don't want to drink. You may also experience unconsciousness, hypothermia, and also convulsions. Sounds like a party. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say that. <laughs> what are the risk factors with this? The reason why it affects kids under five more is because your immune system's not as built up as it is once you get over to the mm. age of five. And generally children that are, are healthy can fight the infection with their natural defenses. So you don't necessarily need treatment. And sometimes mm. that's always the best. Sometimes no intervention is the best intervention. Like let your body fight these things. Pre-existing illnesses such as symptomatic HIV infections and measles also increase increase a risk of contracting pneumonia. Environmental factors um, which make you more susceptible to pneumonia are things like indoor air pollution caused by cooking and heating and biomass fuels such as wood and stuff like that, mm. um, living in crowded homes and parental smoking. If you smoke, go outside please. What is treatment? So antibiotics for the bacterial version of it. Generally, amoxicillin is what's used. Mm -hmm. Most cases of pneumonia require oral antibiotics, which are often prescribed by a GP. But essentially, in terms of prevention, we want to look at making sure everyone's got this nice, healthy immune systems. We're doing all the things to take care of ourselves. Good diet, fresh air, exercise, da-di-da-di-da-di-da. We all yeah. know the score. <laughs> we know what we need to do. Um, and generally, in kind of treating this disease, it's not an expensive treat disease to be treated it can mm. it's very inexpensive to do it so it is again one of those things that we could generally help support and eradicate especially in those um lower economically developed countries you know so world work together to cure illness please we've done it with one mm. thing we've seen it we've seen it happening before our very eyes with covid so um you know let's start doing it let's start doing it more but yeah, essentially that is pneumonia. It blocks up the lungs. You can't get the transportation of oxygen across. It makes you feel very poorly. Generally naturally fought by the body, but in some cases antibiotics will be used to treat the illness. Good. Hasn't that been That's a nice, job. joyful selection of disease yeah. today? Yeah, but it's important <laughs> to know about these diseases, especially these two in particular, because they've been around for so long. Mm. And just because it's not as prevalent anymore in particular countries, including ours, doesn't mean that it's not as important um, to know about yeah. and, uh, and understand the history and know what the signs and symptoms are now. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So that is my summary of those two pathologies today. V is going to be back with us in two weeks' time telling us about two more pathologies. Ooh. Woo, woo, woo. And then we're, then we're going to be moving on to a different part of the body, you lucky things. <laughs> <laughs> you lucky, lucky things. <laughs> so if you have any questions about what we talked about, if you'd like any more information or where to be directed for more information, please do get in touch. V, what's the mm -hmm. stuff? You can email us at double T double O S podcast at gmail.com or you can follow us and message us on social medias which is at double t double o s podcast yeah thanks so much everyone have a good day and we'll see you next time bye bye